Greetings! Comixology now has over 18,000 digital comics for sale with 800 free. Download us for the iPhone, iPad, Android, Kindle Fire, or the web for a true buy once and read anywhere experience. Comixology.com This week's Major Spoilers Podcast, sort of a weekend-type edition, unless you're from the future, at which point it may be any day of the week, much like pancakes, pretty much universal, was brought to you by Eric Waddell as Dashing Fandral, Kent Dwadaring Heineson as Grim Hogan, and Antonio Sanciolo as Volstag the Voluminous. Yes, the Warriors Three, each of whom is a faithful spoilerite, true and bold, and this one goes out to they and or them, depending on how that sentence began. Major Spoilers theme song! The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Pod- on, on the air. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. If you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, 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 The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome, everyone, to issue 383 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad that you can join us. You know what joke we forgot to make? Which one is that, Matthew? (laughs) The the 360 degrees. Oh, jeez. Yeah, we sure sure forgot it. We sure did forget about that. Oh, One thing I can't forget about is the found footage genre. I will give that one to Rodrigo because of the Coldplay joke. But other than that... (laughs) One thing I can't forget about is the found footage genre. I went and saw Chronicle last weekend. Uh, I thought it was going to be really good. And for the most part, the story was good. Um, It's a really cool superhero villain kind of origin story. Uh, I thought the Mm -hmm. acting was okay. Uh, the, The fight sequences of superpowers fighting superpowers was really well done. I mean, you see somebody, I mean, uh, you guys have seen Justice League Unlimited or the uh, Superman, the animated series where he's fighting Darkseid and Darkseid punches him and he goes flying through like four four buildings and everything's blowing out the sides and everything. We see that kind of stuff happening in Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Did you see this, Rodrigo? Nice. No, Did, I haven't gotten a chance uh, to. Okay. Um, the problem for me is when we deal with... I like trailers. When we deal with found footage... Uh, shows we're assuming that you know this was all shot POV from the um, storyteller or from the I guess the narrator's uh, perspective uh-huh. uh, in this case they do a couple of cool things uh, the the main character realizes he has the ability to move things through telekinesis so he actually starts moving the camera around as he's filming himself so it gives the camera operator and the director a little bit of creativity in getting some more interesting camera angles in the uh, in the piece. The problem is, though, at one point, right toward in the third act, it suddenly doesn't become a found footage film anymore because there are shots that are not being picked up by a police car camera. It's not being picked up by a bystander. It's not being picked up by a security camera somewhere else. It's a shot that just cannot exist in the way that this movie is played out or being told. And to me, Mm -hmm. it just ruined the entire experience. Now, there were a couple of other things. I mean, once you realize it's a found footage uh, genre and and what's going on, suddenly you start paying a little bit more attention to composition and framing. 
Uh, there's this one scene where there's another girl who likes to record her life, and she's got the camera going as she goes to open the door, and it's perfectly framed so that there's a mirror right beside the door, and so we're looking over her shoulder to the character standing on the porch, and those two are having a conversation. And then you also, because she's reflected in the mirror, you get to see her reaction without having to cut away to a second camera. But to me, the moment that you see that, you're like, oh, uh-huh. wait a minute. What a gimmick. What a, this doesn't work at all. Uh, Cloverfield was kind of the same way. Blair Witch Project, I I want to say in all the found footage movies that I've seen, and I haven't seen a lot, Blair Witch still stands out as one of the better versions of the found footage genre. Um, I, I did some research. The first they found... Play it, they play it straight, too. Yeah, they, they play do. It honest. They do. And, and they do in Paranormal Activity. They do it in Chronicle as well. They do it in Cloverfield without making it too crazy. Um, mm. But, you know... I don't know. To me, every time I see one of these films, it seems like they're using the gimmick of, ooh, look at this footage that we found and that we're editing together uh, to show you what really happened. And it really seems like it's it's not that, but more of a, here's some poor storytelling, let's cover it with the found footage genre. Hmm. Well, first, may I submit that the three of us are probably not going to be the most objective people in this discussion, being as how each of us does in fact have a background in terms of video production and camera work and film. So the things that, you know, you and I see in the movie aren't necessarily the things that the general public sees. And when I point out, for instance, uh, paranormal activity three was notorious for this. There are points in paranormal activity three where, Things don't make sense. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for the camera to do what it does, but it's a neat effect. And right. If you watch Paranormal Activity, when the scary parts start, you start being distracted from it. But the fact that this guy is so obsessive about, you know, recording his life and his girlfriend's possible life-threatening whatever it is, it's kind of difficult to see him as anything other than an utter douche. Well, and that's how this character comes off in Chronicle, too. He becomes so obsessed with, I'm going to just record everything in my life, and you find out that his father is beating him and his mother is dying and nobody likes him. He's the butt of all jokes, and he is continually whipped upon and beat upon, and nobody likes him except for his cousin, and then the most popular kid in school also suddenly becomes his friend. But I... Right. I don't know. Personally, I don't know. I mean, I, we've seen footage appear on YouTube and on the news of I'm hiding my camera here so that when my dad comes in and kicks my ass, I can prove to the courts that my dad mm-hmm. is kicking my ass. But that's not what this movie is. It's let me show you how many times my dad can kick my ass and not do anything about it until even in the very end, he almost does nothing about it. Um, and, and And that's kind of problematic because I just really don't think that someone would be walking around with a camera filming their entire life and then editing it together the way that they did. It's just really weird. <laughs> and again, again, that's, you're right, Matthew, you are probably, problem. you know, we are coming at this from a different perspective. Exactly. Do, do when you I even, I mean, do you like movie, the, do you like the found footage genre? I mean, it, it's got some potential. Love it. Okay. Love it. I love, I love being thrust into that subjective viewpoint. I love it. Going back. I mean, uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. There was a time when I was, I was, you know, horror movie, especially import horror movie douchebag, which is why I talk about movies like Zombie 2 and why I love Dario Argento. Cannibal Holocaust was 
fascinating to look at. Terrible movie. Still is. Fascinating. And I loved the Blair Witch Project because that subjective viewpoint also gives you so much room for interpretation. Blair Witch Project was successful because they played it straight to the point where they had a film camera, they had a video camera, and they had the DAT, the audio tape device. You know, they had the thing that recorded the audio that went with the film camera. Right. So at certain points in the movie, you see the film camera, you're not getting the audio because the kid with the audio tape is somewhere else. Right. So they're actually, that movie was shot by the people while they were making a movie that was being shot by the characters they were playing. Right. That's why that one worked. And, you know, if you look at Paranormal Activity, it works with with a little bit of suspension of disbelief. If you think that this this guy is basically somebody who's trying to either prove that somebody is messing with him or prove that his girlfriend is crazy. So uh, not having seen Chronicle, but having seen the the promos, the 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 trailer, Mm -hmm. I could tell you from the trailer that there were things that couldn't be explained by a kid with a video camera and the found footage genre. Right. But at this point, I think that's kind of to be expected. You know, the found footage genre, which is French for cliché, weird because cliché is also a French word, is basically just a a tool. It's 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 a style. It's a way of approaching the material to try and make it, well, to try and you know to try and make it feel different than say Hancock, a movie with similar themes and probably I would say from what I saw some some similar plot behind it. But I think that if you look at, you know, is found is the found footage genre the reason why this movie is less successful for us? Maybe, maybe not. I think that I always have a problem with, okay, let's say you're in the desert. Your hero is crawling across the desert. He is he's dying of thirst. Everything is wrong and he will die horribly. And the camera pans across the landscape to show that there's nothing there. Big, long, loving pans of nothing. And about halfway across, they always cross the sun. And you get that lens flare. Mm -hmm. And you say to yourself, that's a lens flare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm looking through a lens. And since I'm looking through a lens, that means that not only is there a cameraman there and an audio man, but 20 feet away from this guy who's supposed to be dying in the desert is the craft services truck. And when he's done here, he's going to go have a cream cheese wrap. Right. So that that bothers me. Yeah, this reality television or reality-based television is the same way. The more I watch Storage Wars, uh, the more you start to Mm -hmm. spot the technique and you spot to see where the cameras are being placed and you start to spot what they're doing, and suddenly it kind of falls apart. Mm -hmm. And my wife pointed it out uh, about a week ago. We were watching an episode. She's like, why do they always find this really interesting stuff in these lockers? And I turned to her. I said, hmm, why do you think? And it's almost like a lot of this is almost the ones. Well, no, it's it's probably yeah. planted there. Rodrigo, I'm curious. Well, what, is, what is your what is? Your, oh, go ahead and finish up your your thought there, and I want to get Rodrigo's perspective on found footage, since he went to Northwestern. The the thing, yeah, and the thing that gets me about you know storage wars, but also to a lesser degree, uh, Paranormal Activity Three, 
is the way they manipulate us. In Storage Wars, there's a thing where we're supposed to see a fight between the yup guy right. and the guy who looks kind of like Dog the Bounty Hunter. Dave and, oh yeah, and, and they keep Hester. cutting back and forth. Dave Hester and Daryl. Yeah, they're yeah. cutting back and forth. And uh, the yup guy stands there and he's in a hat and he's like, yup. And then they cut to Dog the Bounty Hunter and Dog the Bounty Hunter is like, I refer to, and they cut back to, uh, you know, uh, the yup guy. And the yup guy is not standing in the same place. He's not standing right. by the same people, and he's wearing right. a different hat. Right. For that one shot, they cut in a different shot of him because it worked better in the editing. And at that point, I'm like, I wonder how much editing they had to make to build drama out of three guys standing around going, yep. And I'm out. Yep. Frederick, what are your thoughts on found yep. footage? Well, uh, found footage... Uh, is is a really really interesting technique to 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 shoot a movie in because um video basically video equals reality and film is fundamentally surreal sure um there is a uh like if you watch the news the news is shot on video these are things that happen and they are on video i remember one time uh, i watched the and i i don't know if they still do this but after a certain point they started shooting the mtv uh music video awards in 24p mhm um it was still technically it's still video but they're shooting it in 24p which is what uh, in 24 frames per second which right. is what film does um and it looked like film so I immediately that they were being they were live or with with a very small delay but I it felt to me like this was pre-recorded and thoroughly edited because yep. I was seeing it in film. So in films you can actually do the reverse thing by shooting things on uh interlaced video. People will see that and say this is true this actually happened. Somebody uh, on, I think on the site, commented, well, found footage is just a gimmick to shoot things at a lower cost. That's not really the case. Certainly not in something like Cloverfield. No, Cloverfield was it's not actually, shot on video. It was shot on a huge monstrosity of a film camera. And that camera operator went through hell and back to get those camera mm -hmm. moves down just yep. right. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, uh, it's getting to the point where technically all movies are shot on video it's just digital video that can replicate the look of film right yeah. um but you know if you look at something like chronicle those special effects are actually probably harder to do in that sense mm -hmm. because they have to be properly filtered moved, yep right mm -hmm. and they have to be uh motion captured and all this all this other stuff and and matched to the motion to look properly and since the camera is extra shaky that actually makes it harder more difficult more expensive yep um and as as far as the the genre itself i personally don't have a problem with it but i'm very susceptible to finding issues and it breaking my disbelief it's like mm -hmm. watching the office if you watch the first season of the office you're like okay this makes sense but i remember watching a later episode of the office and Jim is like driving and he's like, I got to go see Pam. No, I'm not going to see Pam. She's not talking to me. I'm not going to do a thing. And I remember thinking he is on his own. And the camera guy is in his seat. Mm -hmm. Why would Jim, the only sane man, 
have that yep. camera guy on his seat. He wouldn't. This is not true. This can't actually be happening. Blah, mm-hmm. blah. Whole premise falls apart in my brain. Right. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the time, this is what happens in found footage movies because it's really difficult. It is really, it actually turns out to be way more difficult to tell a story when you have such a limited, uh, yeah. perspective. Something else that, that you have to take into account is I am a huge fan of Rod Serling's Twilight Zone. And in the fall of 61, CBS said to Rod, you gotta save some money. So we're going to have you go ahead and record on video and transfer to 16 millimeter. Now let's, let's first take the moment. This is 55 years ago. The technology is radically different. Mm-hmm. But one of the scariest memories of the Twilight Zone that I have is one of the worst episodes, an episode uh, called 22, which I believe was uh, in season either season three or early in season four. I may be full of crap. It's hard to say. 22 is basically it, it, it's the the old joke about, you know, the Grim Reaper stopping and pointing to a seat and saying room for one more. Woo. Scary story, sure, but it's not really done in a way that is particularly super scary. And right. Twilight Zone is is usually more subtle than this episode. And this particular episode features a particularly, um, I guess, a, a particularly uh, poorly aged special effect of a plane crash. So on on you know on the face of it, I should not be scared of twenty two. Every time it comes on, I'm like, oh, because I remember the first time I saw it when I was a kid. And I'm used to seeing Twilight Zone on film. And Twilight Zone, all of a sudden, on video, this happened. Mm-hmm. It feels more immediate. It feels real. And as you know, as poor as some of the acting is in this episode, and as weird as that plane crash is, and the <laughs> at the end, that, that experience of seeing 22 when I was you know, 14 somewhere in a hotel room, sticks with me and it makes that episode scarier. So I think that's what the found footage genre is trying to capture. Absolutely. That realism, that immediacy. And if you watch paranormal activity and, you know, you're not susceptible to laughing at horror movies, which some people are, or you're not distracted by the, you know, the meta technique of this guy is recording everything because Mm -hmm. he wants Mm -hmm. to prove that it's fake. Right. You really can get drawn into it. And that's what I love about that film specifically, about, you know, the Blair Witch and about that found footage genre. I, I'll admit it. I've never seen Cloverfield. I've seen Cleavage Field, mm. but I've never seen Cloverfield. And I kind of want to from what yeah, I read about well. it. You might as well. You might see I, if yeah. it's on Netflix or something. I mean, it's an interesting movie, but I mean, the problem with it is, and I think a lot of people watch found footage stuff, I mean, and they see some of the techniques and they go, oh, this just means that if I want to make it look like this, I just have to shake the camera. And I know a lot of people right. got nauseous in the theater from watching that on the big screen because there is so much camera movement going on, just shaking and moving and flipping around. Um, but you know what? Just watch it. I mean, just get it out of your system so that you can say you watched it. It has a really good premise and has a really good buildup. And then it just kind of bleh. Falls apart to me. Uh, as a as a as a counterpoint, I actually really enjoyed it, and I think it's the uh, it's a monster, a giant. The only yeah, I mean, it's, time I have seen a giant monster movie be actually scary. Yeah, I mean yeah. there are there are giant points, especially are when they're scary. when they are in the subway tunnel, 
uh, there are parts mm-hmm. where it becomes frightening and oh my gosh and run, 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 run kind of bits. And then we don't, you know, the right. bits that we see where we don't know what happens to the people that have been infected, we see something explode, but we don't know right. what that right. means is yep. rather interesting. Um, right. But you know how in uh, the very first Godzilla movie, when they released it in the United States and they cut in uh, Perry Mason uh, into, the, uh, into yeah. the movie to make it more interesting and more relatable to people, Cloverfield Matthew is very much... That Godzilla movie with Perry Mason cut in, but instead we're seeing it from the viewpoint of all the of all the people that uh, Godzilla is about to step on, and that's what makes it kind of interesting. So, you know uh, what I really want to see? Perry Mason gets speaking stepped of found footage. Oh, okay. Well, other than that, I really want to see. There was apparently a Japanese sequel to Paranormal Activity, and I don't know if it's actually a legitimate, you know, authorized sequel. But it's apparently that, you know, a, a J horror version of paranormal activity. And given how scary those two separate things are together, I'm thinking I'd like to see the J horror conventions mm-hmm. and whether they can fit that into found footage, because there's a different kind of scare in a movie like, you know, the original version of The Ring or, right. you know, the original right. yeah, this the, is the actually, Japanese thing. It looks country. like it's actually a, a true sequel. It's called Paranormal, paranormal Activity Tokyo Night. Officially sanctioned Japanese sequel to 2009's <laughs> Paranormal Activity uh, arrives yes. March 7th, 2011. Nice. I may have to see it. Yeah. When it comes out a year ago. Yeah. Well, Hello, past people there you go. of the future. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm reading this from a, a while ago. Anyway, speaking of genres, <laughs> Matthew, a few weeks ago, yes, I was lamenting right. the fact that uh, Doc Savage and the Spirit don't work in a modern day retelling. And I think this that, is true. And go ahead. My, uh, my fascination with this came from my daughter recently went to the Goodwill store and purchased a big stack of books. And I don't know if you if you're familiar with these, they're like paper books. No, with words. Uh, on I only read stuff, on but digital. no pictures. I know, right? There's no pictures. And what's really bizarre is one of them was a, Nancy Drew book. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was a a rewritten Nancy Drew book. I didn't read Nancy Drew books when I was a kid. But on the cover, you see Nancy Drew with her little smartphone. And I'm like, Nancy Drew has a cell phone. Doesn't that destroy every Nancy Drew story? Oh, no. The killer has put us in here. I'll call the police. (laughs) Yeah. Mom. Mom. Something strange is happening. I'll call the police. You know, we don't have... We don't have really good detective stories anymore, uh, unless they're set during a specific time period. But I mean, you've kind of got CSI and you've kind of got, uh, you know, all of those uh, CSI type shows that are kind of detective <sighs> movies that rely on technology. But I'm going through my probably 10th uh, showing of the Rockford Files again. I just started on season two last night. And there are some great things about the Rockford Files set in the 1970s where. He has to make a phone call and he has to go and do this. He's not looking things up on his computer. He's not, you know, stepping outside of a building or being chased down and calling uh, uh, the police for help. He's not using GPS to navigate. He's using, you know, the technology of the time, which was nothing, rotary phones and, uh, you know, a Trans Am that, that goes really fast. You cannot make Rockford Files set in the you know, set in the 2000s. It wouldn't work. Sure you can. 
It wouldn't be good. Sure you can. You have you have him have. Sure, it would. You have no him way. have a cricket phone because he's Jim Rockford and he's broke. <laughs> and whenever when, whenever Jim phones. can't use the phone, okay, Jim Jim has a prepaid phone, right? Yeah. And anytime you're like, why doesn't Jim use the phone? Oh, uh, he's minutes out of minutes right and he can't yeah. afford a new one. Yeah. And you know the bits and pieces of the Rockford files work best in their own time frame, but. Who's to say that, you know, Jim Rockford couldn't be a character who is old school, who rather than go and dig through the Internet, would rather go down to police headquarters and, you know, look through their files if they still have files or insist on, you know, going through the old the old paper files and things. And they're like, everything's in the computer now. Well, you have files, don't you? Yes. And then you cut to Jim in a room full of big books and people looking at him like a crazy person. You can do it. But I, th- I, I think to, to some degree, adding that level of that explanation, working that hard for it. Right. Would kind of undermine a lot of what you love about well, it. Well, but it's, what about you know, Nancy Drew or the, or, or the, uh, the, the Hardy boys, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Rodrigo, do those get ruined by technology? Um, not necessarily. I think that they are harder to write, but. Then again, a lot of things are harder to write because of technology. There's a lot of things that you can't do anymore um, just because the technology is uh, or or you have to write in a reason why the technology doesn't work. Just like every modern horror movie. Right. You need that scene where the character goes, oh, no, I get no cell phone reception in this <laughs> hostel. Um, so. Uh, We'll stand I think together it's just, here with our fully charged cell phones. When will but, we get killed? When we've earned it. But if you think about it, um, that is true for a lot of stuff, not just for detective um, movies and books. Part of the problem is that in detective stories, everything's all about information. And mm-hmm. with modern stuff, it's a lot easier to get information. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Really, technology in that, especially cell phones, are a problem in every genre, which is why a lot of the time writers spend so much time getting rid of the main character's cell phone. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's what Mark Wade used to write, um, the uh, Spider-Man indexes for Marvel Comics. And you'd go through and they would have a little section called Topical References where somebody refers to President Nixon or somebody says, oh, it's Christmas 1974. The topical references are basically set dressing. The Spider-Man story itself has nothing to do with Nixon or the Christmas of 1974. And the Hardy Boys or Jim Rockford have nothing to do specifically with the existence of cellular technology and, you know, personal computers that have more juice in them than anything we ever would have imagined in 1979. But those topical references, those are things you have to deal with as part of it's part of your storytelling. It's part of, you know, the overhead. It's it's your housekeeping. See, my problem with a lot of these stories is actually the reverse, especially in modern teen drama kind of stuff mm-hmm. where the Internet is just uses this incredible shortcut. <laughs> um, you know, look at a movie. I actually watched the first episode of Teen Wolf. Yes. And uh, the M- is it MTV? Is it on MTV? Or is yeah. that the, the first uh, of the, the newest version of, of Teen Wolf? Right. That's right. Not, I don't mean the cartoon Teen Wolf. Yeah, MTV. Um, which was also awesome. In that 
movie, the the or in that show, the main character basically goes online, or actually, I think in this case, the the character's best friend goes online to find out about werewolves, and immediately, pretty much immediately, stumbles upon all of the rules for werewolves in this universe. The same mm-hmm. thing happens in Twilight. You know, the main character goes, maybe my boyfriend is a vampire. And she goes online and then finds like the weird (laughs) myth that the Native American werewolves have about vampires right there immediately, pretty much. There's a there's a bit of a fady montage type scene, but you pretty much have it right away. The characters and 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 that's a thing. You get the rules immediately. Mm hmm. Which is insane because if you actually look up vampire myths, there are a bazillion different myths about them. Not to mention everything that each individual bit of pop culture tells us is true about vampires. So it is for me, that's technology being used in an unrealistic way. It's a way in which uh, they've taken the crutch of not having that technology and turned it into something else that is also poor writing it's extremely prevalent if you watch bones bones is and and my wife hates it because she loves bones bones is basically house with a female protagonist but it has a character who is a forensic uh, reconstruction person so they have a skull and rather than using like putty and plastic and all those pegs and things that they used to use back in the day right she has this super computer and the supercomputer allows her to do all sorts of amazing three-dimensional glow-in-the-dark renderings and, you know, basically holographic stuff. It is literally as advanced as most of the stuff that you would see, you know, in Star Trek The Next Generation where future technology is magic. And they they just kind of name-check this and they're like, do 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 I have a computer. And if you know anything about computers and computer graphics, you're like, holy crap, this is unrealistic. They've taken that and made it, basically, they've made it the center of their little crime-fighting operation. And I agree with you. It's it's a crutch. It's it's basically the the phlebotanum. It's basically the the thing that we, you know, we don't ask why Angel turns into a vampire. We don't ask how the transporter works because we don't need right, to. Right. This is basically that. This is you know the dilithium crystal. This is the, oh, I was bitten 1,500 years ago when I was Irish but couldn't speak with an Irish accent. So I, I, I would agree that the technological aspect is troubling in that they either use it too much or not enough. And more importantly, when it comes to like a detective story, an old school kind of, uh, I'm Raymond Chandler, see, and this is how I talk, even though I seem to be talking like uh, George Raft for some reason. Yeah, see? Anytime I do a, a detective or a gangster, it turns into big boss from cops. But that character is hard to do in a world where that technology is there. Wilson Fisk, recently we, uh, re- we did the Daredevil uh, Born Again trade paperback. Right. Mm-hmm. 25 years ago, it was believable that this man had his fingers in all the criminal pies, but nowhere was there, you know, like a a guy tweeting inappropriate things or a guy who had a picture of Wilson Fisk up on his flicker or, you know, somebody with a crazy conspiracy theory that, Hey, this humble spice merchant is actually the kingpin of crime all over the world. You know, these days it's not realistic to presume that that wouldn't happen, but 
I'm not necessarily sure that it would be a better story if, say, Ultimate Spider-Man did that and they did a whole thing with, you know, hey, you know, there's this crazy person who's running his own website about how the Kingpin is really the Kingpin and the Kingpin's going to target him. So Spidey has to save him. Actually, that might be a good arc. Did they do that? Uh, If they didn't, they're going to very soon. Copyright 2012. Copyright 2012. Major spoilers. Haha, <laughs> ha, now you can't use it. It doesn't work that way, I don't think. Nope, it does sorry. now. Can't copyright ideas. Touch your face. I can copyright anything I want. <laughs> because I'm a detective and I have this computer. I uh I don't know. I just there's something about old detective stories, Raymond Chandler stuff, Columbo, Rockford Files, Hawaii Five O that really work when you're not using technology to solve your problems for you. And I don't know uh, for somebody that loves technology as much as I do. I hate saying that I hate technology in, in certain genres. Well, see that that's the problem is that people are still writing Sherlock Holmes, right? They really are. It's, it's that, that iconoclastic, like weird detective man who has those leaps of insight. right? Right. Um, there is somewhere out there a detective story for the modern times, a detective story for the 21st century. It's just we haven't seen it yet because everybody's still writing Sherlock Holmes. And I don't, I, I certainly don't mean to, to talk down any other detective story, but you know, a lot of them are Sherlock Holmes, except he's chasing vampires kind of stuff. You right, know, right. a lot of it is or Sherlock the- Holmes. Right. Except, you know, doing other stuff. And, you know, you look at stuff like Bones and Bones is Sherlock Holmes, except with this with uh, the computer from uh, Synergy from Gem and the Holograms is Bones is basically patterned after House, which is, in fact, patterned overtly on Sherlock Holmes. But more importantly, Mm -hmm. in 1878 or 18, you know, 1914, whatever you're looking at, it was realistic to state that. There were certain knowledge gaps between sure. your average Schmendrick on the street. Hello, governor. I shovel coal and Hello. I go home and my, my children eat Drist. a handful of cold gravels. And, you know, Sherlock Holmes, who, of course, knows that the science of phrenology states that he must be an intelligent man because he has a large hat. Sherlock Holmes, as that person whose leaps and bounds above the average jack wagon, doesn't work when the average jack wagon has the ability to go to Wikipedia and look up Sherlock yep, Holmes. Yep. Anybody can go and, you know, within reason, obviously, you're not going to be able to find everything within quick nature. But if you go on the Internet and you Google Marvel Comics, the 3D man. You will probably find everything that I know about the 15 or 20 appearances of the 3D man. You'll be able to break it down. You'll be able to talk a great game, even never having read Marvel premiere number 36. And the reason for that is technology has made knowledge more than just, you know, the purview of guys who sit in dusty rooms and have the books. And that's wonderful. And that's fine. But more importantly, it's changed the expectation that, you have to be extraordinary to know things that aren't obvious that you have to be, you know, a super extraordinary genius who can, obviously he's a smoker. You see his fingers are yellow and he has a slight callus on his thumb from striking a match. That's not going to play in 2011. And not merely because that was a horrible, horrible composite of a kind of a David Niven 
and maybe a little bit of Eddie Izzard as someone else. But also because it's not as believable to say that, you know, the average person on the street isn't going to be aware of Bones, of CSI, of the Hardy Boys, of all of these stories. Part of the reason why these detective stories are hard to work is because you have to imagine a story where people don't know the detective story. Yeah. Yeah. She she was a brunette, the kind of brunette that would make a bishop click a hole in a stained glass window, you know. That plays in its own time, because at that point you can say, well, it is 1939 on the edge of World War II, and it's kind of nebulous. And you can say, well, uh, the reason people don't know about Raymond Chandler is because Raymond Chandler hasn't written about this awesome story that's happening right now in vaguely 1939 with Dixon Hill. Well, and here's the thing. A A story like, for example, The Maltese Falcon, it could happen in modern times because... Most of the stuff that you deal with is just characters lying to you. Mm-hmm. And True. Right now, we don't have, you know, uh, we don't have a smartphone app for, you know, to, to make somebody take a polygraph. Um, not yet. But, you know, not yet. You mean? So, I'm, I'm sure it's already in the works. Um, but I am, I'm sure as hell not paying 99 cents for it. Um, <laughs> but, but that's the thing is, you know, that story, that story could work in the modern times because sure you could in fact if the character went and googled the maltese falcon and found something that would actually give more credence to the myth of the maltese falcon exactly. you know you don't have to tell the character oh have you heard about the maltese falcon is this awesome thing you can actually look it up and say holy crap the maltese falcon is an awesome thing i mm. really really should sleep with this woman now <laughs> <laughs> well i say that every day yes so it, it, it's really a question of taking the limitations of the story and crafting a story that takes into account the reality of the limitations of that story. If you have, if you can't tell the classic Jim Rockford, you can't tell the classic Philip Marlowe. What's, I mean, what's changed? What can you do with that story to where the Philip Marlowe character is still relevant? I mean, it's like the shadow. The shadow has been, what, 70 years, 80 years? And everybody knows the shadow, and the shadow is iconic. But when you try to relaunch the shadow, it tends to get kind of a response because the shadow outside of 1939 doesn't necessarily work. Yeah, exactly. And if you're reading the shadow stories and the guy's driving around and he, you know, the shadow has his secret network of spies who can communicate with each other because of their radio communicators. That's pretty awesome for 1939. That is a cell phone in 2012. Sure, sure. It's a it's a Twitter feed with autocorrect. Exactly. And the shadows goes blah ha 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 ha. So I think that the question is not why can't you know, what's wrong with the detective story that it can't be told with technology? Does technology ruin detective stories? Is how do we write a detective story that uses technology neither as a plot hindrance or as a MacGuffin? Yeah. How do uh-huh, you write uh-huh. that story today and have the technology just be part of it? The I same way that, one. you know, Rockford's Firebird is one of it. I oh, haven't sure seen one. I'm sure they do, but I haven't seen well, one. And that's 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 yeah, somewhat you don't problematic. Need a thing that isn't based on something. I've got are. a I've 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 got a uh, maybe a lead for you. Okay, 
I'd be more than happy to take a look in, at it, but uh, I, I, and I don't, I don't even, I don't even mean a specific place, but I would say, look in Europe. <laughs> I'll get right on. Hello, that. Europe. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, well, stories. I, you you laugh, <laughs> but here's the thing: American uh, entertainment we goes don't. through so many iterations so fast that it just collapses in on itself and turns into this unrecognizable mass of stuff. It right. really does. And if you go to the stuff that other countries are doing, sometimes it's like, oh, well, this is entirely obvious. Of course, it takes twice as long because American pacing is also incredibly fast. Yeah. So if you're used to American movies, it's like, oh my God, they're taking so long. But you might actually find a detective story that works within a modern context. To an extent, I Just guess like you could say uh, um, Necromancer probably is one of those. I think it's isn't Necromancer, Winter Crash, whatever, Snowfall. One of those uh, Snow cyberpunk. Snow one of those cyberpunk Snow ones. Crash. Technomancer, I think it's necro I think is Necromancer or Technomancer or whatever it is. Neuromancer, whatever it is. Neuromancer, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, and to an extent, I think that could probably work. I just haven't seen anything that really does it in our current modern times. Uh, before we get out of here, Tony writes in and says, recently got into comics Hello, when Tony. I came to visit America. It's the first time I saw a long box and the hundreds of issues all about me. And I ended up picking about $200 worth of comics, which I shipped back home to the UK. My question is a comic store etiquette one. Most comics are bagged and boarded in the long boxes. And I know that are, there are people that never remove them from their sleeve. I'm never sure if it's considered impolite to pull the comics out out and flip through them or if it's not allowed at all. It may seem silly, but I'm sure others who have only recently gotten into comics occasionally have the same thought. Good question. Matthew, you want to address this one? Well, certainly. Here's my perspective on it, my specific perspective. Since 1998, back issues at Gatekeeper Hobbies come to me, well, or someone much like me, and they get put on the board. Board goes in the bag. The bag is heat sealed with uh, a special heat sealer that actually melts the bag closed. I do. Like if that it's heat a sealer. back issue, oh, you gotta love it. If it's a back issue in my back issue bins and it's open, that means that somebody opened it and they cut it open, which mm -hmm. is impolite. And anything that's in my, uh, we do have a clear plexiglass place where we keep. More of the expensive back issues, things like the first appearance of Ra's al Ghul. Right. We have an X-Men number nine. We have a Spider-Man number four. Do you have an X-Men number one? You know, no, God, no. <laughs> we have a, We had one about six years ago and a, buy, a guy bought it over the course of 12 months. He paid wow. a couple hundred bucks a month. We had one, but, you know, it's not honestly that good a rock. But. If they're, you know, if it's something where the book is more than about 10 or 12 years old and you have a way to open the book, I would actually ask first because if you have a book that's actually valuable and you bring it out of that bag and for whatever reason, unintentionally, that book gets torn, you know, ripped, you know, corners rolled, spine damaged, creasing, that's going to lower that resale value of the book. If it's, you know, last month's issue of Fables, probably not the same, but... Yeah. If they've gone to the trouble of taping the book closed or heat sealing the book closed, I would say that it would be inappropriate to bust it open and look at it. 
a lot of books, you know, we have the last two to three months of books up on the wall, unbagged at any given time. So you there, can, you know, if you see issue four and you want three and two, they'll probably still be up there. You know, there are some uh, stores that actually keep about a year's worth of back issue stuff, uh, not in a bag, but just there in bins that you can go through the quarter bin, the 50 cent yep. bin, whatever that they have. Uh, but then anything That's older than that generally goes in. Yeah, well, but I mean, if you're just reading it for whatever. Uh, but, you know, then there are things that go into the bag. And my, I guess my philosophy is, I guess you could always ask, but if it's taped, mm-hmm. I wouldn't open it. If you open it, you buy it. Yeah. For the only reason, like Matthew said, is you take it out of the bag, you could ink on your finger, Cheeto stains, whatever, uh, lower the value of that book for the store owner. And a book that is taped shut, and I, you know, I know I say this a lot and it's a snotty thing to say, but honestly, tape on a back issue is a recipe for disaster. And it's kind of a rookie mistake, especially if you, you know, if you kind of have an aggressive brand of tape, the only scotch tape that I have in the store that I will use, I've actually, you know, the boss and I have come to an agreement. There are three things that he doesn't question me on why I have to get the tape that costs 40 cents more, why I need golden age boards, regardless of whether he bought any golden age books. And, you know, why the, the back issue bins, you know, need to be alphabetized and have decent labels in them. These are things he doesn't argue with me on. So he'll get me label tape. He will get me the more expensive scotch tape because if you have to tape a bag shut, you want that tape to stick to the bag but not be, you know, so sticky that if it touches the book, it starts ripping away color or, yeah. you know, perish forbid part of the cover. Yeah, I can't tell you how many books I have gotten that are literally beautiful copies that would be two and three times what they're actually worth now if not for, you know, somebody catching them with tape when they're taking them in and out of the bag. My so, guess is you can you know, find you, out everything you need about a particular story um, from the internet very quickly. Do a search mm. uh, and you can find iPad. out what it's about. We all have yeah. them. Yeah. We've had iPads iPhone. implanted in our necks. Yeah. We're in the future now. I, I don't know about the neck, we, but, you know. Take your flying car down there. But uh, my, honestly, if you have a question about the etiquette of the back issues, there will almost always be a nerd, either overweight or underweight. Um, probably with, you know, either poor skin or bad hair. And I, I say that as an overweight man with poor skin and bad hair, we can smell our own. There will be someone there who will tell you, yeah, you can open that and look at it, or please don't open that and look at it. So I would say that it, you know, even if you're visiting somebody's house, it couldn't hurt to, you know, just get the lay of the land and say, Hey, is it all right if I pull this book out? And if they say no, don't be a putz. (laughs) Yeah. Rodrigo, anything you want to add? Um, no. All right, that's it for that this week's episode, everybody. By the way, we had that thing slabbed. Came back in 10.0 condition. Ten times as expensive as it is in the normal state. So now it's like an $8 book. Nice. Yeah. Everybody join us uh, next time on the podcast when you're going to hear Rodrigo say... Um, nope. All right, that's it, everybody. We will talk with you real soon because we know that you love comics and we do too. Take care. 
Greetings! Comixology now has over 18,000 digital comics for sale with 800 free. Download us for the iPhone, iPad, Android, Kindle Fire, or the web for a true buy once and read anywhere experience. Comixology.com If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East With a King Sun throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers It's copyright 2012